involved in uh, working with our district camp program since 1995. And so we've been going up there a long time. And for a period from about 2002 to 2005, we were actually camp directors for junior high. And at this particular camp this last week, we got to reprise that role for the first time in almost 15 years. Uh, and it was amazing. I'm actually going to share a couple of stories from camp uh, during my message uh, this morning. But before we proceed, before we get on with the message, one of the things we do here at Thrive Church is we love to pray for another congregation in our community. Uh, there's only one church, and we happen to just be a part of that body, an expression of uh, the body of Christ here in Glendora, but there's other great churches, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, faith-filled churches. And so we consider it a privilege to be able to partner with them in prayer. Uh, I want to pray for uh, uh, Grace Glendora Church over on Glendora Avenue, Pastor John Dix. Uh, we prayed for them before. We're going to pray for them again this morning. God's doing a mighty work there, and, uh, and we're excited the move of the Spirit in that place. So would you pray with me? Uh, Grace Glendor is kind of that direction, so we're going to extend our right hand of blessing towards that church as we pray today. Father God, we pray a, a blessing on that, sh uh, that church today on Pastor John Dix, on Grace Glendora, Father God, and we ask that you would move in mighty way, Lord, even as the word has been preached this morning, Father, that lives would be transformed, people would come to know you for the very first time, and there would be those that rededicate their lives to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, if you turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5, James chapter 5, James comes right after Hebrews, and if you're flipping too fast, you go right past it into First and Second Peter, so if you've hit Peter, you're too far, right between Hebrews and James, uh, Hebrews and, and Peter is James. Started a series a couple of weeks ago called Unstuck, Unstuck. And talked about the fact that all of us at some point in our lives feel stuck somehow, whether uh, it's in our work, our education, uh, maybe in your relationship with the Lord, you feel like things aren't progressing in your relationship uh, with the Lord, maybe you're calling, you feel like there was a season where you felt like what you're supposed to be doing, you knew what you were called to, and, and then you just got stuck, and, and forward progress stopped. Mentioned the fact that some people might feel stuck in their marriage, uh, but what I mean by that is not stuck like you can't get out because that's not okay, but more this, stuck that you're not growing in your marriage, that it's been 10 years and I still feel like I don't know my spouse better than I did before, we're, we're, not, we're not moving ahead in our relationship, maybe stuck in parenting or stuck in finances. Definition of stuck is simply this, to be unable to progress with a task or to find the answer or solution to something. Another way of saying it is this. To be or become fixed or jammed in one place as a result of an obstruction. Something gets in your way and prevents you from moving forward. Prevents you from moving on to the next season, the next level, the next stage. However you want to put it. Whatever that, that situation would be. You just can't move forward. But here's the truth of God's word, and, and the thing that is a, the statement over this series is this. God has not intended for you to live a stuck life. God has not intended or designed for you to live a stuck life. Stuck is not one of the ways that we describe the kingdom of God. In fact, uh, Matthew says it this way, that the kingdom of God, and Jesus says that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. It's not stuck. It's moving forward. 
And that as Christians, as Christ followers, our lives should reflect that of the kingdom of God, that we're not just moving forward, but that we're forcefully advancing. And because God is not designed for us and intended for us to live stuck lives, he gives us the tools we need to get unstuck when we do get stuck, right? And so we've been taking a look at some of the ways that God resources his people to be able to get unstuck and move on with the things that he's calling us to. Our first week we talked about uh, Jesus. And I asked this question, what place does Jesus occupy in your life? What place does Jesus occupy in your life? See, for so many they treat Jesus as a good luck charm. Or like 911, he's there when I need him, but otherwise pretty much forgotten. Right? I don't get up in the morning and check and make sure that my 911 is working. Right? But I know it's there when I need it in an emergency. Jesus doesn't function that way because he's a relational God. Yes, he will rescue us from trouble, but that's not the only time he wants to engage with us. Jesus needs to be our anchor point. He needs to be at the very center, at the very core of our lives. Jesus wants to be your Lord, your Savior, your King, your commander. He wants to be your all in all. And then last week, we started talking about breakthrough prayer. So Jesus needs to be at the center. And then I believe the first and primary tool that God gives us in being able to become unstuck is breakthrough prayer. Not just prayer, but breakthrough prayer. And that's what we looked at in the book of James. If you weren't here last week, you can listen to that sermon. It's on the website, or you can uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Um, We talked about the fact that God gives us traction in prayer. And I showed this picture of a sand ladder or a traction ladder. This is something that someone who goes off-roading would use. If you go out to the desert, you would carry these in case you got stuck. And what you would do is, is jam one of these uh, under the tire, and it would provide traction. It was funny, up at camp this week, um, I was driving up one of the dirt roads, and we had all the kids in the car, and we are pulling a trailer, and I, I ran around a, a corner. I didn't see this hole, like a culvert, and phew, front tire dropped right in. And so I'm trying to back up, and there's dust, and there's dirt, and my kids go, Dad, you need a sand ladder. And I'm like, hallelujah, my children listen in church. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have a sand ladder, but we were able to get out. But this guy right here in his Jeep is stuck in the sand. And so that, that, that sand ladder gets shoved under that tire to provide traction. Prayer and breakthrough prayer functions like a sand ladder to our spiritual journey in places where we feel like our wheels are spinning, but we're not actually moving forward. And when we pray breakthrough prayer, we get traction, spiritual traction in our lives that allows us to move Forward. And I emphasized last week the fact that prayer and praise, as we'll read in James 5 again here in a minute, are the two keys to what James' thought is in regards to prayer. Is anyone in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him praise. Both of those, the root word is the same, prayer and praise. And the idea is this, that words need to come out of our mouths. That it's actually not a biblical idea that we pray silently in our minds. That prayer is meant to be done out loud and praise is meant to be done out loud. That words would actually proceed because there's power in our words. 
We have authority and dominion from God in our words. And when we speak those words, breakthrough happens. So you have to be careful. I'm going to re-preach that message. Let's turn to James chapter 5. We'll start in verse 13. Pardon me for sipping on water today, but I've been screaming and, and yelling and praising Jesus with a bunch of junior hires, and my voice is a little, a little tired. I was a little nervous coming home last night. I'm thinking, Lord, you've got to bring some healing here. And uh, I sounded like, actually like a junior high boy. There was a lot of little creaking and cracking going on. Let's read this. Can we read this together out loud? Let's read off the screen. Um, I know you've turned there in your Bible, but so we can read the same words. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Go. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so, uh, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The per- prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Father God, this morning as we turn to your word, I pray that the words would come to life in our hearts and in our spirit. God, that you would stir our hearts, that you would cause us to be unstuck. That we would see forward motion in our lives, even before the conclusion of the service today. Spirit, that you, Holy Spirit, that you would move in such a way that we already feel that momentum starting to build, that it would carry us into not just this week, but into our future and into the things that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week I mentioned that I, I was prepping for the service, so I was going to do three points on one Sunday, and then I realized I'm not going to be able to get through all of it, so I was going to do the first point or the first observation last Sunday and then the second two today, and then I realized I can't do that either. So this is going to be a three-point servant over the course of three Sundays, um, because I believe that what God is communicating to our church and to the body of Christ, I was listening to a, a friend of mine, uh, his, he pastors in another church, I was listening to his podcast, because I, ha- as a pastor, I need to be fed as well, and he's preaching it almost identically the same things I am, and we didn't have a conversation about it, and I'm realizing that the Spirit of God is moving the church to, to pray, and not just pray for our meal before we, when we sit down at the table, but to prayer, to breakthrough prayer, to the prayer of faith, as James references here. So we're going to take a look at the second observation, the second point out of these passages, and it's found in verses 14 through 16. I firmly believe that two of the primary tactics that the enemy uses to cripple Christ followers in, in, in prayer is these two things, isolation and identity. Isolation and identity. Today we're going to talk about isolation, and next week we're going to talk about identity. So don't miss next week. It's going to be exciting. Isolation. James addresses this in verses 14 through 16. Uh, We just got back from Africa, and while we were there, we got to go uh, as part of missions team, and while we were there, we got to go on a game drive, and Nairobi National Park is just right on the outskirts of the city, Um, and they don't have all of the big game, but they do have lions, and 
I've been there multiple times, and there's been times where we saw lions, and then times we haven't because they're kind of elusive. They're a little hard to see out in the in the in the bush. Well, this time we were blessed. Not only did we see a lion, we saw entire pride. The, the male, the females, and cubs, and it was beautiful. They were just, they're just lying around, actually, it was in the middle of the day, so they're just kind of laying in the grass, and they're tough to spot. When they lie down, you can hardly see them at all. But here's what we know about lions. They, they love to hunt, and they love to hunt because they love to eat. Um, and it's actually the lioness in, in the pride that does the hunting and the way that they hunt is they will find a herd, and, and the lions will work as a group to identify the weak or the isolated member of the herd, and they will target that animal, whether it's a zebra or a wildebeest or whatever it would be. They don't go after the strong one. They go after the weak one that's off by itself. Quite often, it's the younger animals they get picked out because they can't run as fast and they get left behind, which, oh, that's sad. But right, it's the circle of life. Come on. And that song is now in your head, isn't it? Who's singing it? You're welcome. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 9 says this, Be alert and, sober mind, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls, prowls around, around, I'm sorry, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Another translation says it this way, seeking who he may devour. Uh, One of our camp speakers said this week, he said the, the word may equals permission. May equals permission. So the enemy's looking for permission to devour someone. Continuing in verse 9, says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. The enemy is like a lion looking for those who are isolated and weak and separated from the rest of the body. He's looking for those who have been disconnected from community, and in the midst of that isolation, he goes to work to destroy, to devour. And if you've seen National Geographic or watch any of those shows, you know that when, when an animal, when one of those, those uh, big cats is eating their prey, and it's not, a, it's not a pretty thing to watch. That devouring is ravenous, and it's brutal. And this idea that the enemy is just opposing me, and he just wants to come against me, Couldn't be further from the truth. He doesn't want to just come against you. He wants to devour you. He wants to consume you. He wants to destroy. As John 10.10 says, he only knows how to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he knows to do. And so he's looking for those who are isolated and separated from the rest of the community, from the rest of the herd, and he picks on those. He picks on those. And the way that that looks in our lives sometimes is this. No one cares. No one knows. No one understands what I'm going through. By the way, just showing up to church doesn't mean that we're not isolated. Just showing up, being here physically doesn't mean that you're not isolated. Because I know, and I've talked to people 
of my years in ministry who say, I go to church, but I don't have any relationship. I don't have any connection. There's no fellowship. There's no community. No one knows and no one cares what I'm going through. And that isolation is dangerous. It is a lie of the enemy. It comes in this form as well. I have to figure this out on my own, which is really pride. I have to do this on my own. I can't ask for help. In fact, asking for help is a sign of weakness. And that is not a biblical idea. That's not a biblical thought. That asking for help is a sign of weakness. That comes straight from the world. This idea that we need to suck it up, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, and just kind of push forward and put on that smile. And when someone says, hey, how are you doing? And the answer is, fine. James and I got to talk about that just a few weeks ago. What will it take for the church, for the body of Christ, for us to move beyond saying, I'm great. And yet on the inside, I'm going, I really need someone to talk to. We have to stop believing the lie, and we have to come to this realization. This is the truth. This is the antidote, the opposite, the counteraction for what that lie is. It's this, that there is a release of power in prayer within community. There is a supernatural release of power that happens in prayer when we pray in community. I want to invite you, at 945 every Sunday, we pray right here. And I tell you what, there's about as many people in our prayer circle as there are in service right now. And we're seeing our prayer time grow. I invite you to come and join and be a part of that. Because God wants his people to pray because when we pray with each other and we get real with each other and say, I have some things in my life that need help and need to be addressed, would you pray with me? There is a supernatural release of power in prayer that takes place. And not only that, it builds, it builds community, it builds trust, it opens doors to increased and, and, and deepening fellowship within the body of Christ. The zebras are one of my favorite animals in Africa. And the great thing is when you go to any of the parks in any of the, 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 the nations in Africa, you're going to see a lot of zebra. In fact, I love when we go with teams and it's their first time and you have the people who are like, oh, zebras are my favorite. In the beginning of the day, you see the first one and they take like 25 pictures and like, oh, and by the end of the day, you're like, oh, it's another zebra because <laughs> there's just so many of them. But one of their, their, you know, they have the stripes, right? You all know that zebras have stripes. Um, the reason that they have that, it's, you know, you look at the lions and they blend in with the grass and once they lie down, you can hardly see them. Or if they're crouching, it's really hard to see them. But with the zebras, they stand out. So their defense mechanism is this. They get together as a herd and all of those vertical stripes just blend into each other so that the predator can't tell where one zebra ends and the other one starts. So it just looks like a mass of one massive huge zebra. When we get together in prayer, when we come together as a community of faith, the enemy is limited in his ability to come against us because we stand together and we, we bring our faith together and we pray for each other and we build each other up and we get strengthened in that, in that environment. So much so that the enemy goes, listen, I've got to go find someone else to pick on. 
I've got to find someone else to move again. There is a release of supernatural power in prayer in the midst of community. One of our core values at Thrive Church is this. Live in community. Live in community. And that word, community, communal, together, fellowshipping. The core value is not this. Live in proximity. Live in proximity. And can I tell you, in America, that's kind of what we do. We live in proximity to each other, but we don't live in community. Even in a town like Glendora that does things like concerts in the park and movies in the park, and right, we're, we're the, this great community, pride of the foothills. But if I had to walk up and down my street and ask my neighbors how many of them know each other, people who've lived next door to each other for 20 plus years who hardly know each other. I was sharing, and I've shared this before, I was sharing with one of our Kenyan pastors while we were there, that, you know, in, in America, that people can be neighbors for a decade and never actually meet each other. And her face just dropped. And she had this visceral reaction. She said, how can that be? So, and, and this was her response. That is a sin. Because God has not called us to live in proximity. He's called us to live in community. And so as a church, we have the core value of living in community. And by the way, that's also more than just getting along with each other, right? Living in community doesn't mean play nice. It means genuinely caring about each other and coming alongside of each other. And I got to tell you, I'm so proud of our church because we're doing this. As the pastor, one of my greatest joys is hearing the reports of people going and praying for each other, doing hospital visitations, taking meals to each other, and I hear about it after it's happened. Can I tell you, that is awesome. Hello, are you there? You might not realize it, but most churches, when there's a need, the first person they call is the pastor. And believe me, I'm happy to help. But we have a community of people who need to care for each other. And I'm so proud of you all because that's happening in this place. And I know that God is going to bring more and more of that. I want to look back at James chapter 5. Let's unpack this a little bit more. So James starts in verse 14 and he says, Is anyone among you sick? No, immediately our minds go to some kind of illness, some kind of injury, some kind of pain, right, physically. But, but what James is saying here is actually larger than that. What he's, what he's saying is, is there something in your life that's not where it needs to be? A, a better translation would actually be, is any of you weak? Is there some kind of weakness in your life? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially? Is there a place of weakness in your life? If there is, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Confess your sins to who? All right, we're going to pause for a second. I just got back from camp, and I had a whole bunch of junior hires who were like super engaged and talking back at me. So you've got to help me out. <laughs> 
I am, I am fine with you responding. Are we good? I know it's, it's nice and cool in here. It's already warm outside. I'm excited about this. My prayer is that you get fired up. So if you want to talk back at me, let's do it. You ready? All right. So, so confess your sins to who? Each other. Each other. And pray for? Each other. So that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. All right, we, we need to unpack this a little bit because there might be some questions. I had questions. Okay, so sick, not just relating to illness, but translated again, weakness. Where are you weak? Where are you stuck in your life? If there's a stuck place in your life, then go to someone who has a greater degree of faith than you do and ask them to pray with you. Why the elders of the church? What, because they have some special in with Jesus? Right? No. Not at all. The direction is to go to the elders because they're probably elders and leaders in the church because there's a maturity about their lives and a maturity in their faith. We've heard the term, the blind leading the blind. I've gone to people before and asked them to pray for me and I felt left feeling more discouraged than I did when I got there. Why? Because they didn't care? No, because their faith was not at a place where they could meet me and and be a support to me. And so James just says, listen, go straight to the elders, because the assumption is that the elders, the pastors, the leaders in the church are going to have a degree of faith that may be a little bit more than where you're at. And with their faith, matched with your faith, partnered with your faith, that the prayer of faith will be offered and that Jesus will respond to that prayer. This has to do and is centered on faith. There is no special knowledge. I do not in my office have a little red phone with a direct line to Jesus that no one else has. But people believe that. People believe that. So we need to match our faith. We need to bring our faith into alignment with someone who's able to, to, to encourage our faith, right? We, we sang those words this morning, let hope arise. Let hope arise. I got in the, the car this morning, and like I said, I was a little tired. And, and so I was driving over to the office. And last Sunday, I had an amazing time of prayer in the car driving to the office. Man, it was just, I was fired up. And I was like, okay, Lord, let's go. And I got in the car, and, and I got like halfway down Foothill, and, and I passed Lorraine, and I'm going, all right, it's not happening today. It's not happening because I was tired, and I've, I'm emotionally spent from an amazing week. It was great, but I'm, I'm tired emotionally. I hadn't had any coffee And I was like, oh, Lord. And I felt, started feeling discouraged. Like, Lord, I've got to preach on prayer today, and I'm not feeling it. And I got to the office, and I got into the Word and spent some time reading the Word, and I felt it start rising and bubbling up. And by the time I left the office, oh, I was, I, again, same corner, by the way. Last week, guy pulls up next to me, and I'm praying out loud, and he's looking at me like, what is up with this guy? Same corner. Now the guy's on the curb, and I was singing this morning, singing out loud, and he's just looking at me, so I started praying for him. I love that corner. I believe God's going to meet people on that corner down here on Lorraine and Foothill. Hope and faith need to rise up inside of us. 
It starts welling up and, and springing up from inside of us. And sometimes we need to get our faith together with someone else's faith and go, would you, would you help build my faith? Would you share a testimony with me? Would you share a story? During our prayer time this morning, I was, I was talking about at, at Camp Cedarcrest this week. I was like, I asked the question, can I help build your faith this morning? The first night of camp, we had worship, or second night of camp, we had worship out on the field under the stars. First time that I know of at Camp Cedarcrest that we worshiped on the field. We had a trailer, actually a pretty big trailer, and we put lights on it. We got a sound system down there and kind of an acoustic set of worship, and we had 300 people under the stars worshiping Jesus. And these junior hires were just letting go. They were just all out. And we got to a place in, the, in this time, it was just worship. There was no preaching. It was just worship. And we're declaring the truth of God in, in the midst of praise. And we gave the invitation for people to come forward to be prayed for, for healing, for physical healing. And there's a leader from Las Vegas who was there, and she had arthritis in both knees. So much so that she needed a ride down to the field, and she brought a chair with her because she said, I can't stand for this time. I need to be able to sit. And as we're driving down to the field, I'm just speaking to her, and I'm saying, you know what, God's, God wants to heal you tonight. I believe God, God wants to deliver you from this pain and from this arthritis. And we're going to declare, and I said, at, at some point tonight, we're going to pray. Well, I didn't get the chance to pray with her because a bunch of junior hires got there first. And they prayed for her, and I went to her at the end of the night, and I said, how are you doing, Jen? How, how are you feeling? She goes, I have zero pain, and I've been standing for two hours. Zero pain. Now, now listen. All right. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Pastor R, who spoke, he's like, hey, listen, I don't need your pity clap. That's what he told the junior hires. This lady got healed of arthritis in both knees. Can we praise Jesus? Yeah. I went to her the next day. All right, how are you doing now? How's the follow-up? She goes, I'm great. I'm walking all over. And you've been up there. It's up and down. And she's going, I'm great. She said, there's some pressure, but there's no pain. No pain. Young lady named Catherine. I'm just kind of working through the crowd and praying for kids. And this little gal, just this angelic face, just red hair and freckles, just this beautiful child. And I went up and I said, how, how can I pray for you? I asked her her name and she says, I, I have asthma really bad. And we're up in the mountains and the air's a little thinner up there and I could tell she was even just labored in the midst of her breathing at that moment. And so there was like seven or eight junior, I mean, we were crowded in and, and I said, guys, let's pray. And these junior hires, again, they didn't wait for me. They just jump in and they start praying out loud and I'm praying out loud and man, and you can just feel the presence of God in this moment. And then I stopped and I said, Catherine, how are you doing? And she starts breathing and you can tell that she's taken the deepest breaths she's ever taken in her life. And tears are just streaming down her cheeks. She's going, I can breathe. I can breathe. There's no, and I'm going, okay, now, you know, in some of those moments, especially as a kid, you're like, oh, I feel the pressure, like I have to give the, the right answer. And I'm like, you don't feel like you need to give an answer. If, if it's not that way, it's okay, we'll keep praying. She goes, no, I can breathe. Here's the awesome thing. The next day we had this fire. You may, might have heard there was a fire up in Running Springs and the smoke came up the top of the mountain and, and literally just dumped right on top of the camp. So much so that during our free time we had to bring 
all 220 <laughs> junior hires who've been running around all day and all sweaty, kids out playing paintball, and we get them in a room, close all the windows and all the doors. It was like a little sauna. Um, and the big concern was the kids that had asthma. And so I went and found Catherine. I'm like, how are you doing? And she goes, I'm fine. And I said, so before this kind of smoke, she goes, I would have been all kinds of trouble. She goes, but I can breathe. And this little girl received her healing. But it was in the midst of a community of faith of 11 and 12 and 13-year-olds who stood with this young lady and declared healing over her life. Church, when the body of Christ will come together and pray for each other and pray the prayer of faith, and our faith is built, we're on that field worshiping Jesus, and you could sense from the beginning to the end that the faith in that place was just going just through the roof, if there were a roof, just straight up to the heavens. And these kids were like looking for people to pray. They're like, right? They're just on the prowl in a good way. Okay, who can I pray for? Who can I pray for? I tell you, you see a, a sixth grade boy, 11 years old, who's like this, and he's got this fire in his eyes. There's one little guy, he's just worshiping, and he's like, he's got his hands over his heart. And then there's the cute girl. And, you know, they do this at camp. They come over, and they're like, oh, they just want to be with you. And he's like, he looked at her, and he pushed his, her hand off, and he was like, he just kept worshiping. Because they were just so fired up. By the way, you want to know why I love camp? That's why. Because for so many young people, it's the first time in their lives they encounter God in a way where their faith is not just built up, it's set on fire. We were worshiping last night. In fact, I want to show you this little video clip. I'm inserting... Okay, go ahead. So picture this, this is the end of the service. The, the preacher, the speaker has got done, and as the camp director, it's my job to come and transition out of service, and I get up to say, okay, we're going to go to the next part, and no joke, they wouldn't let me. Kids started calling out the names of worship songs they wanted to sing, and they didn't want to stop. And so that was the last song we were supposed to sing, and I think we sang three more. And, and, and honestly, if the band didn't have to leave, I think we would still be there. <laughs> Why? Because in that kind of environment, when the community of faith comes together and we join our faith together, God moves in ways that we can't imagine. And 11 and 12 and 13-year-olds realize they have access to the power of God in their lives to bring about healing and transformation so does it have to be the elders? No. We just have to make sure that we're building our faith, that we're building into the faith of each other. Let faith arise. Let hope arise. And listen to me. Faith is best built in the midst of community. 
I've never in all my years heard of anyone who said, I'm a great person of faith, but I'm completely separated from the community of faith. It doesn't happen. People who are people of great faith are so intertwined and connected with the body of Christ. Can I say that again? Faith does not be, is not built apart from community. You're not going to have your faith grow in isolation. And it's the thing that the enemy wants to prevent because he knows if you lay hold of the faith that Jesus is giving you, he doesn't stand a chance. So he works overtime to keep us separated and isolated and this building, our, our building of our faith is not a conjuring or a magic trick, by the way. It's not hocus pocus. It's the way that God has intended and designed for His children to live. It's how He's designed us to live, to be a people of faith. To have, our faith, that, to have a faith that's constantly being built up and growing in Him and then being released in the midst of of not just this community, but the community at large. I want to read a story out of Scripture, an account of something that happened with Jesus. It's found in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1 through 12. The, verses, the words will be up on the screen. It says this, A few days later, when Jesus had again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Again, the word, there's power in the word. Jesus preached the word of God. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to, uh, get to him, since they could not get him to Jesus, rather, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, uh, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their, say it together, faith. when Jesus saw their, faith. whose faith? The friends. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, hold on a second. What was his problem? Paralysis. He was paralyzed. They didn't bring him to Jesus so his sins could be forgiven. But when Jesus sees their faith, he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Now this creates a problem for the teachers of the law. It says that the teachers of the law who were sitting there uh, were thinking to themselves. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit, because he had a spirit of discernment, that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. What a great story. I tell you what, we all need friends like those four guys. We can all be friends like those four guys. 
A man who is paralyzed, he does not have the ability to get himself to Jesus. And so these guys are like, hey, Jesus is in town. Let's get our friend there because he might get healed. They get to the door of the place and they realize that it's packed out. There's no room. We can't get in. People standing outside of the door. And I'd love to meet the guy whose idea was, it, it was to go up on the roof. Can you imagine? He's just like, all right, what are we going to do? And he says they had to dig through the roof. Right? There's probably tile roof or some kind of earthen roof. So they had to get to work. Can you imagine sitting in the house? Stuff starts kind of, in California, it would be like, oh, is it the big one? Right? <laughs> For them, there's dust starts coming down, and all of a sudden, light starts streaming in. And they had to get a hole big enough to lower a stretcher through. Right? This mat that this man is laying on. And he comes down through the roof and is laid in front of Jesus. See, there was an obstruction preventing them from getting to Jesus. They were stuck. They were stuck. They were obstructed from getting to Jesus, but that didn't stop them. Their faith caused them to press in. They get up there and they lower him in front of Jesus, and Jesus' response is just amazing. He's, he sees their faith. He sees the faith of these men who their care and compassion and community and fellowship they have with their friend doesn't prevent them from pushing through and lowering him down. He sees their faith and because of their faith declares to this guy, your sins are forgiven. I don't think it's just the teachers of the law who get stuck on that See, because so often we pray prayers and say, Lord, here's my need, and God doesn't answer the need we wait the way we think he should meet the need. God, you did something else completely. God, I need you to do this, and he says, I'm going to forgive your sins. And part of the reason for this is that we're stuck in a temporal mindset. We're stuck in the confines of this earth, thinking that this earth, this world, this time that we have here on this planet is everything. And Jesus sees eternity and he says, what's way more important for this guy, way more important than him getting up and walking, is that his soul is saved. That his sins are forgiven. That he's made right with God. That there's an area of weakness, that there's sin in his life. And Jesus alone has the power to forgive this sin and take a weak place of this man's life internally and make it strong. The teachers of the law going in thinking in their minds, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? I've been a church, been a part of church for all my life. I can't remember a time where I wasn't been, been a part of church. And I know this, sometimes people are thinking things inside of their minds and sometimes they speak them out loud. Refer to last week's message, please. Um, sitting in church going, I wouldn't do it that way. You know what this church needs more of? And I'd be like, you know what this church needs less of? Um, <laughs> that we think these thoughts and we think that we're being godly because we're judging from the internal and looking at things that are taking place. But this church is that and that pastor is this and blah, 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 blah. And here's the thing. Here's the scary thing. Jesus knows your thoughts. 
And when you're thinking those thoughts and passing that judgment, first of all, your faith is not increased, it's decreased. You move from a place of strength to a place of weakness. And you're going to be held accountable. Now, that doesn't mean we just walk around going, you know, not, not walking circumspectly, as the scripture would say. There's things that we have to address. We're a family, and family is messy. Amen? I said family is messy. Amen? Because we're people. I've heard pastors say ministry would be so much easier if it weren't for the people. But people is what Jesus is all about. And so if we would turn our hearts away from going, why did he do that? Why did Jesus do that? Jesus, you're not doing for me what I think you should be doing. Rather than, what does James say just right before this? If anyone's in trouble, he should pray. And if he's happy, he should praise. Either way, what we're saying is, God, you know best. You know best. And God, cause my faith to rise so that my faith will meet your faithfulness in a way that will lead to transformation in my life. It's easy to sit back, like right, the armchair quarterback. There was a video, I wish I would have thought of this before this very moment right now, but Wimbledon was happening. Anyone see this video? It was a woman's doubles of it, and there was a guy in the crowd who was kind of heckling, like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. And so you know what they did? They stopped the match and brought him out, and the dude was not in shape at all. Then they proceed to put on him one of the girl's skirts and one of their shirts. It wasn't very, it did not look good at all. You're like, oh, I can't unsee that. Um, And then they proceeded to play tennis with him. Wimbledon level tennis. And they, they served to him like five or six times. And of course, he couldn't even get to the ball. Why? Because it's easy to sit in the stands and go, well, you should do this and you should do that. And if only he had done that. It's a lot harder to get in shape and get in the game. And God's not calling us to be armchair quarterbacks. He's saying, let your faith arise in the midst of community and then get yourself in the game and participate. And then watch me increase your faith and increase your faith and increase. So Jesus' response is, listen, what's easier, to tell him his sins are forgiven or to tell him to get up and walk? So he turns to the guy to make his point and says, get up and walk. So the guy comes in expecting a physical healing. He gets salvation. He gets his sins forgiven. And he gets healed. Reminds me of a verse that Jesus said. Well, he didn't say the verse. He said the words. We made it a verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added See, in the midst of community, when you come to me and say, hey, would you help me out? I've got some things going on in my life. We can have a conversation. I had a youth pastor come to me at, at uh, this last camp, and he's like, Pastor Barry, can we just talk for a few minutes? I've just got some things going on in my life. And within five minutes, see, he was like, my senior pastor and my, my executive pastor, I don't think they like me, and they're not, you know, blah, 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 complaining. And so I started asking him questions about himself. And realized there were all kinds of gaps in his integrity and his devotional life. And I'm like, dude, before we can have that conversation, we need to have this conversation. See, if I'm not in the word and I've not hidden God's word in my heart, I'm probably sinning against him. And if I'm sinning against him, I'm probably sinning against you. 
But if you don't have someone to shed a big old honking light on that in your life, you're missing out. Was it a fun conversation? No, he was in tears. He's a big guy, big burly beard, and he's just tear, there's tears streaming. And all I did was just bring the word of truth to him. I didn't have anything special. I just said, hey, where's your relationship with Jesus? You anchored to Jesus. No, I'm not. And stop looking at people and looking for that validation in other places. We need that in our lives, church. We need people who will speak truth and raise our faith and then come alongside and pray with us. In fact, what did James say? Confess your sins to each other, not to the priest and not to the pastor. Confess your sins to each other, but I don't want to. Then you will stay stuck. It's not comfortable. It's not supposed to be. It's not easy. No, but it's necessary. Confess your sins to each other that you may receive forgiveness from your sins. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 as I close. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. Okay, listen, let me stop right here. I've heard pastors all my life use this as the stick to beat a congregation with to say you need to show up to church. <laughs> Most of the time it's a pastor who's insecure saying if there's more people in church, I feel better about myself. And if people don't show up, I feel worse about myself. Not all. I've been there. And that's not a condemnation against pastors. It just means there's places where their faith needs to be built. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying, hey, make your pastor feel better by showing up to church. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, if you're not together, you're missing out. You're isolated and you're in mortal danger. As some are in the habit of doing. It was a problem back then just like it is now. But encouraging who? One another, all the more as you see the day approaching. What's that day? The day of Jesus' return. And the Bible tells us in these last days, there's going to be an increase of lawlessness and wickedness. We were having conversations with junior hires that were blowing my mind. When a 12-year-old comes to you and says, I'm having issues in regards to gender identity. I'm a boy, but I think I'm supposed to be a girl. I had someone say to me, one of the leaders, they said, wow, these kids are dealing with very adult things. And I'm like, listen, I'm an adult, and they're dealing with stuff I've never even heard of. That there is an increase of lawlessness, of the lies, and the attack against our children. That the enemy is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. He's looking for those whom he may devour. And in the same way in the, the herd of zebras or antelope, it's the young ones who are weak. And it's our job as a community of faith to come alongside of them and help build their faith so they can stand strong. There is an all-out attack against our children. And it's time for us to stop playing church and start living in community. Can I tell you, if not for you, do it for your kids. If not for you, do it for your kids. What is the faith of the next generation worth? 
because they're going to need every bit of faith they can lay their hands on. And we're called to partner with them. I was feeling a little bit guilty about going to camp. We're up there for three more camps, which takes us away from being here. It takes me away from the office. And I was like, oh, we can't do this anymore. Some of you came up to kids camp the first night and helped. There was a bunch of you that served and helped with the welcome party. Thank you. I tell you what, I have this vision in my mind next year that on the day that camp starts that we say, hey, listen, we're not having church here. We're all going to Camp Cedarcrest to go and serve. Because what's the faith of the next generation worth? That in one camp, one summer camp, they say a youth pastor, if you're a junior high or high school student, you go to church and youth group, you spend about 40 hours average a year in that youth group. In one summer camp, not counting meals and sleeping time, and, and the activities, we get about 80 hours. We get two years worth of discipleship and building faith in one week. And I realized, I'm sorry, church, but come July, I'm going to be up the mountain. If you need me, I'm at Camp Cedarcrest. Because God's given us a, a passion as a couple and as a family. My kids serve their guts out at camp. Why? Because we believe in the faith of the next generation and we want to partner. If you want to know how to help out, you don't have to wait till next summer. We have three more welcome parties coming up. And if you want to come help, we'd love to have you. Just talk to me after church and I'll tell you what we need to do. In fact, shout out to Fred and Jamie. We had, usually have someone who runs our, our paintball up there for the summer and she wasn't able to come up this summer and so we didn't have anyone to do it. And last week, last minute, I called Fred and Jamie. I'm like, hey, would you guys be available to come up? And so they've been up there the last couple of days. They're coming up again this week, and they're running paintball. And I love that. I love that willingness and just to honor you and say thank you because I know that you value the next generation because when we live in community and we pray for each other, our faith is built. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like a precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. That when God's people come together, and there's a lot of analogy in there and pictures that I can't fully unpack right now, but you've got to understand, David is painting a beautiful picture of what unity and community looks like. And the blessing that it is to God. I love that when that man, when Jesus says to him, get up and walk, that everyone saw and they were in awe. Never seen anything like this before. And their faith was built. When I ask you a question, what would it look like and what could it look like if this church engaged in the prayer of faith. Now, I know a lot of you are prayer warriors. What I'm not saying is this. What would it look like if our church planned a prayer meeting? I've got to tell you, as a pastor, prayer meeting is one of the most discouraging things for me. Because we say, hey, come join us. And three people show up. I want to encourage you to read a book. I don't do this often. There's a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I'm reading it right now, and it's wrecking me. If you want to know what God's doing in my life and why I'm preaching the way I am, get Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire and read it. 
and let's watch what God does. Well, what could it and what would it look like if this church were committed to prayer of faith? Not a prayer meeting, but the community of faith coming together, us getting real with each other and saying, hey, I'm stuck and I need you to pray with me. Gathering in each other's living rooms and dining rooms, at parks, gosh, even in Starbucks. I can't pray because people might look. Hello, Jesus sat in a room and there was no people, there not, not enough room for, for people to even fit in. Where the presence of the Lord is, the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And when we bring that into our community, people might be confused, but they're also going to say, I've never seen anything like this before. What, what are you guys doing? What would it look like if we were a church that truly engaged in the prayer of faith? I can't even fathom and I can't even imagine. So I have an invitation for you. Here's your homework. We had homework last week. There's homework this week. Start thinking about not when, but who you need to connect with this week for a time of prayer. It needs to start in your home. Guys, connect with another brother. Hey, can we just get together and pray? Start with 10 minutes. That's fine. But start getting together and praying with each other. And we've got some things planned for the fall, some ideas that I have percolating I'm not ready to share in, in regards to how we can facilitate that more. But I don't want this to be something that happens because, well, we designed a program for it. There's a song that says that, right? What if his people prayed? Let's stand together. As the worship team comes forward, we're going to close with worship, but we're also going to close practically because it's one thing to talk about this and preach about this, but we actually can do this. By the way, on your seat this morning... We put one of these invitation cards. We haven't done this. It might be a couple actually on your seat. Would you grab yours? Would you grab the one that's right by you and hold that up? Um, this is a resource. This is not a manipulative type thing. But this is a resource for you. I always say this. This is not the invitation you are. This is a piece of paper that has information to, get, to, tell, to tell people where we are. You're the invitation. But if we believe this, if we believe that, that, that faith rises in the midst of community, why would we keep that a secret? Why would we not want to share that with everyone we come across? Like that junior high kid who's like, who can I pray for, right? Like kids are like, oh, dude, back off. We don't have to make it weird. But can I tell you, there are people who are waiting for you to invite them to come and be a part of a faith community so their sins can be forgiven and their hurts can be healed. I don't know your neighbors. You might not know your neighbors. Get to know them. And invite them to church. Guess what? They might say no. Okay. But they may say yes. And you can lead with this. Hey, it's great to meet you. Is there anything I could be praying for you about? Our culture might be resistant to church, but we're not so resistant to prayer. Hey, how could I pray for you this week? And you watch the doors that God will open in your life. So take these, use them, 
If you put them down with a tip on a table, make sure it's a really good tip. And actually have a conversation with the person that's serving you. We're going to end today, today with worship, but our prayer team is also available. And I want us to do one of two things. We can do this right while we're worshiping. If you need someone to pray with you, if there's a place where you're weak, a place where you're stuck, and you need to partner your faith with someone else, our prayer team is available. Available, They'd love to pray with you. But there's people all around you as well. You don't have to go to the back of the room or the side of the room or the front of the room. There's people right, and I, it doesn't matter if you know them or not. We're a, play, we're a family, we're a community. And just turn to the person next to you and say, would you just pray with me? And let's make this real in this place today and invite the presence of God to increase our faith. Father God, this morning, I'm so thankful God, that you've given us your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, that you are, that you're present. That you're not a far off concept. That you're present and you're present to change. You're present to increase our faith and grow our faith. You're present to bring healing and salvation. You're present to transform. You're present to to put to death the lies of the enemy and cause your people to come to life. I want to ask this morning, if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, if you're living in the temporal but you don't know about the eternity, Jesus wants to first minister to your eternity before he ministers to your present. And that comes in the form of saying yes to him and receiving him as your Lord and Savior. If you've never said yes to him, you've never received him as your Lord, your personal Savior, and you'd like to do that this morning, Would you just simply raise your hand? Raise it high so I can agree with you. There's agreement that happens. Anyone today, I never want to miss a Sunday or an opportunity to to see people come to Jesus. All right. Father God, I pray that you would move in power in this congregation. Cause our faith to rise. Cause our faith to be partner with each other. See you do great things for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name.